Welcome to the Tennis Addict Podcast, the podcast for tennis fans by tennis fans. Listen as the hosts break down the latest news and tournament results from around the tennis world. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. The podcast is produced early each week, so feel free to add us to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook. The links will be in the show notes. Here are your hosts, Mike, Eric, and Michael. All right, hello and welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Michael, and with me is my co-host and brother, Eric. Hello, everybody. All right. Uh, sorry, sorry, we were actually a day late here for the Monte Carlo preview. Unfortunately, uh, we couldn't get the recording done yesterday, so Monte Carlo's already started. Uh, match is already underway today. Actually, they're over. Um, but uh, you know, we made our picks already. Uh, we got the notes ready. We just couldn't get them, uh, you know, ready to go and actually sit down and do the recording until today. So uh, before we get to the Monte Carlo recording, though, we do have some some stuff to talk about because we took a week off um, after the hard court season, and uh, you know the tennis world does not stop just because we stop recording for a week. That's and true. There's always news. So let's start out with the news. So uh, in the last couple of weeks, now in the last episode, Michael and I talked about the parting of Agassi and Djokovic. And how you know that was a big deal, obviously. And we talked about the ramifications for the split, why we thought the split actually happened, all of that. However, it's not the only big coaching change in Djokovic's camp. He also parted ways with Radic Stefanik. And by the sounds of it, and granted, it's this is far less descriptive as the Agassi split was. It appears to me, at least, Eric, and tell me whether you agree or disagree, that it was Stefanik's choice to leave. That- uh, I think it was. He he was citing um, now. There's different sources, so uh, I haven't read through everybody to see if it kind of matches up. But uh, it, it, he said it felt like Djokovic wanted to go back to um, a previous coach. You know, he he thanks uh, Stepan. Uh, Roddick for you know his, his input but it didn't seem like he was using a whole lot of it either similar to Agassi but not I guess is extreme uh in that sense so um I think he knew the writing was on the wall once Agassi was leaving he he kind of just okay this obviously isn't going to work out so I might as well let go leave myself find somebody else instead of being you know chopped you know, three, four weeks later, three, four months later, uh, if he's not going to stay. But I got to, you know, do a little more research and see if that's not just someone making some stuff up. But it makes sense. Right. You know, he cleaned house what the, last year, the year before. A year ago. A year ago. <clears throat> you know, and then now he's back with Marion Vita again. And, uh, you know, he's he's playing injury, not pain-free for the first time in two years. I am curious about the small medical intervention um, that he announced that uh, helped him recover. So I'd really like to know exactly what what did you what did he do to all of a sudden be pain free? Um, I mean, he had surgery, so I'm guessing that's what he was talking about. But that's going to be really curious because if we have a joke which is not playing with any pain and is super inspired and motivated because he's not been playing with the ball the last couple of years. You know, we could see a rocket return back to form. We could. It's definitely we could. possible. And not saying it's going to, but 
Look what happened in 11, 10 to 11, when he figured stuff out with his diet and so on and so forth. That was basically an overnight change in the offseason. And then he just came out destroying. So, you know, we're talking about someone like Nadal that if they make a minor tweak, you know, and it's motivation, we could see it. I don't think, you know, I'm not going to make him a dark horse yet or anything to, to go after the French Open, but it's something to worry about for most of the field. Right. Well, there is a, a change, of course, beyond Stefanik, and that is the fact that he hired his former coach, Marion uh, Vada. Vida. 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 And, yeah. um, you know, that's a big deal because Marion was with him for his entire career, and then he Up cleaned house last house. year. Yeah. And, you know, that that was a big, you know, when he let him go, that, that shocked the tennis world. And now it appears like he's having a little bit of buyer's remorse with Agassi and with Stefanik. And, you know, I'm, I'm starting to wonder if we're going to see a reassembling of the old team in maybe not in its entirety, in its entirety, but maybe at least partially. You might see a few of the other guys might be maybe coming back. Uh, and it turns out, based on what I've been reading, that uh, Vita is going to be sticking with Ag or with Agassi with <laughs> with Djokovic, Djokovic for the rest of the season. So at the very least, this is going to be a you know it may not be it may or may not be a permanent thing, but it's going. But it's going to gonna be, be permanent for the year because and, yeah. and that makes sense because if I was Vita, I'd do the same thing. I'd be like, look, if you want me back, you're taking me back for the whole year, or you're paying me for the whole year. So either way, you know, you're not going to get your chain jerked around. I mean. Talking about being with someone for their entire their career, and then you get let go. I don't know what Vita did anything in between. Um, I'm not sure if he hired anybody else or just took time off. But I would be in the similar boat um, as he is. But you know, time will tell if Djokovic adds more people, getting closer to the French. Um, you know, we'll see. You know, he had a good match <clears throat> as we're recording. He had a good match today. Um, you know, he played a countryman, played really well. But you know, we'll see if that holds through the rest of the tournament uh, or not. Right. Uh, well, Borna Korich is up next, and that's a much bigger out than uh, – Lasovic uh, or La yeah. yeah, whatever. His countrymen. Yeah, his countrymen. Um, All right. So um, let's move on here. So the U.S. Open is going to be using the 25-second clock this year, and it'll also be using the seven-minute warm-up. So that is a big deal because, I mean, we knew these implementations were going to be happening pretty soon, but, you know, I thought maybe another year off from that actually being uh, fully implemented, but it seems like they really want to do that, uh, really want to put this into play. Apparently it had success last year. And what do you think about this? Well, um, it's kind of surprising. It's not surprising because people don't really understand. The uh, USTA warm-up time is actually five minutes. So seven is, is actually a couple of minutes longer than their normal warm-up time anyway. Well, I think this is the moment you enter the court to the moment you, you – uh, Well, that's true starts. too. So I mean yeah. depending on who you're at, it's not going to affect most people outside of Nadal who likes to really take his time. I think a lot of people aren't going to be that – Aren't going to really be that bad because you're going to be, you're going to have time to prepare before you walk out onto the court. Yeah. You know, if it's your shoelaces tied, if it's your taping, your wraps, all that fun stuff, you can get everything done beforehand. It's not going to be a major adjustment to most, 
Uh, it's just going to be the people who really take a long time. And the only person that pops in my head is Nadal. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's going to be huge a change to him either. Um, the 25-second shot clock is going to be a bigger one for some people, not just not just Nadal, Djokovic as well. Yep. You know, there's a few players who really you know, Nadal gets Nadal gets picked on because of his ritual, and it just it, it, it visually looks like it takes a long time. But Djokovic was normally only a second faster than him for the most part. You know, years ago when this whole thing started to get negativity, um, and I just see it as you know being a little bit of a learning curve uh, for them. I'm sure they're going to practice, you know, prior to the tournament. Nadal is going to practice when he's serving. Probably going to have a shot clock somewhere on court, you know, so that way he can get used to how he's going to do it. They're not just going to have no idea how to be under 25 seconds and then show up and be like, ah, man, you know, it's too fast. I'm not used to it. Anybody that has issues with it is going to get a routine down so they know they're going to get it within the shot clock time. Because I know the first – it's like the first offense, it's going to be a warning. Second, it's going to be a point. Third, it's going to be a game. Um, I imagine after that it might be a set, but I don't really think I, 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 I yeah, a game. I'm not sure exactly how many times you can do this before. Probably just yeah. games. I don't think you give away sets, but probably yeah. just keep giving a game away or something like that, you yeah. know. But um, what's curious is going to be the start of the clock. That's my question. Well, they're gonna, I you think know, it sounds like they're going to leave that up to the you know. It's going to be left up to the umpire because yeah. you have a you have a twenty five thirty shot rally. As soon as the ball goes out, you you know you need to give a couple of seconds before you hit it. If you do it as soon as it ends, I mean you're going to have very boring points. You're going to have people lollygag the ball back into play. And no one really trying to hit a winner because they're trying to suck air and get get energy back. You know, it, I don't think it's going to be the best for tempo. So leaving it to that, I think, is the best. Um, but we'll see. Okay. All right. So uh, one other big bit of news here, and it's actually the biggest news that we've got because of the ramifications for all this. But uh, Madison Brengel uh, is suing the WTA and the ITF on a blood testing procedures that were done to her and – which she has said has affected her career uh, just, I mean, completely. So um, I did a little bit of reading on this, and it turns out that in 2016, uh, around the U.S. Open, it was like before one of her matches, uh, she had blood taken, you know, which is a common thing, especially in tournament. And it, it caused her arm to go numb. So and like the the she lost the first set it was rather close second set opened up her arm went completely numb and she lost you know the set very easily and she was out of the out of obviously out of uh, the U.S. Open now here's the thing she has a condition okay that that affects her when it comes to needles needles going into her her arm or any part of her body it can do this it can cause numbness. And it turns out that she told them about this condition that she has. I mean, this is a verified condition and they know she has it. It's not like a made up thing that she's saying, Oh, I have this, huh? So you can't, you know, test me. Uh, and she alerted them to this fact so that they could come up with different ways to test her. So she's fully committed on being tested, you know, to make sure, of course, that she, like everyone else, is not doping, but it's just she couldn't be injected or, or, 
anything pulled out of her blood-wise. And turns out that, at least based on her, what she's saying is they were unsympathetic whatsoever. In fact, they were a bit bullying to her. And the end result of this 2016 um, pre-match thing that happened when they, they took blood out is that her her arm has never been the same since. That has more or less totally affected her career. She doesn't have the same amount of power on her serve in particular. And it's more or less, I don't want to say it's destroyed her career, but you could argue it's probably destroyed her career. And she's suing for $10 million in damages. So, Eric, what do you think about <clears throat> this whole thing that you know is going on here? It's, it's a big deal. Um, yeah, it really is. Uh, and it's something a lot of people are probably, you know, going to call maybe hoopla making it up, but it's something that's, you know, pretty believable. It's, you know, not unheard of. I've known, you know, friends in that, that, you know, they get their, their body reacts differently to, you know, foreign objects being pushed into their body, you know? So it's one of those, I'm sure she could have some, you know, data, to back yourself up probably does, you know, doctors, you know, you can do scans and x-rays and, you know, see ligaments and whatnot. I mean, tissue, black and blue marks, so on and so forth. I'm sure there's things there. It's not like she's just making this claim up and isn't going to be ready to back it up because otherwise, you know, it, what, why try the battle if you're going to lose? You see what I'm saying? She's yeah. not going to to just do this unless she thinks she's got a good case. And rightfully so. I mean, was she a Grand Slam champion? No. No. But you you don't know what she could have done, what she may have done. We've seen recently, you know, people go on, you know, a streak and win, win grand slams. It's not just been, you know, two, three women winning everything. Lately, there's been somebody new every single grand slam. I mean, look at Wozniacki. We had Sloane Stevens. You had Muguruza. She's won a couple now. Uh, and you've got um, who won the French Open last year, the 19-year-old girl. You know, like there's a lot of this where – you know, anybody can win right now. So you can't go, oh, well, it didn't really affect your career. You weren't going to do anything anyway. You can't say that. I mean, hey, that's really mean to say, but you just literally cannot. So I, I think maybe the the winnings are a little excessive per se, but, you know, with all due respect, something needs, needs done. It needs to be sending a message. You know, I think it's warranted. There needs to be alternative methods. And there is. There's alternative methods to, to check for doping, you know, uh, that they could do, um, things that aren't as invasive, especially considering your arms and your legs are pretty vital to playing tennis. Um, there's other things I'm sure they can do. And if someone wants to, you know, uh, I don't say vote out, but if they want to opt into this alternative, there needs to be something there. Yeah, no, I totally agree. It, it's, um, it's obviously you might say the 10 million is, is crazy, but it's also looking not just at what she's lost since that has happened to her, but also it's also pointing towards what she has lost or will lose or had the potential, has the potential to lose in the future. So I think it's like saying, okay, maybe 10 million sounds like a lot, but you know, hey, if I want a Grand Slam title, then I would have won a couple million dollars or something like that or close to that um, alone right there. So, you know, it's uh, it's crazy um, that they would you know kind of ignore her, but unfortunately, it uh, at least that's what she's saying. Now maybe the USTA or not the USTA, the uh, ITF 
and the WTA. Maybe they have a rebuttal to this. Maybe there's another side, which there usually is, and we don't know it yet. So we can only comment on this <clears throat> from her side. However, at least it sounds like it's a pretty big indictment against the uh, WTA and the ITF. So we'll have to see. We'll uh, monitor this and, ho- you know, we'll, of course, report this as events play out and uh, we'll hopefully see, you know, hopefully we'll see changes. Uh, all right. So let's move on to set two tournament results. So uh, we're going to run through some of the uh, tournament winners, uh, the finals over the last uh, couple of weeks. And actually, there hasn't been too much because, you know, once you finish off the hardcourt season, uh, there's a couple of small tournaments that play out. But for the most part, everyone's just waiting for Monte Carlo. And so the few things that are being played are something like the Grand Prix Hassan, U.S. Men's Clay Court Championships, the Volvo Car Open. And um, all right, so let's start out here. We have uh, Pablo Andujar defeating Kyle Edmund 6262 to win the Grand Prix Hassan. And Eric, that's a pretty big win for Pablo. I mean, he's ranked 300 and some, and he took out Kyle Edmund. That's no easy task, even on clay, especially with his power. Well, yeah, I mean, and, and I'll say this. It, it, it shows a little bit um, what clay can do to neutralize uh, certain people. I mean, Kyle Edmund, who, you know, last year and this year has been having a banner year for himself uh, comparatively for his career, uh, doing really well, getting, you know, he got deep into a, a few places, um, a few tournaments, I'm pretty sure. But it goes to show that clay is a different beast. You can't just just power through clay. We see it. We see it with all the big servers. I mean, don't get me wrong. Um, some of them are better than others, but you know, you look at historically Rounich, um, you look at Anderson, Evo, um, you know, you can get through maybe the first round or two, but you get someone who is used to playing on the dirt. And yeah, Pablo has been dealing with stuff. Um, I'm pretty sure there was an injury, you know, injury that forced him because he's normally not down in the 300s. He was normally in the top 100 to maybe 150. So I'm pretty certain something else is going on there, but it just goes to show that uh, services make uh, up a huge difference. And, you know, Edmund could have been having a day off. I didn't watch the final, so I don't really know, like, the stats to look at. But it wasn't surprising um, to me because I've seen Andor, you know, play on clay. Um, he's a big, so, He's a difficult person to beat on clay, that's for sure. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, he's 32, so, you know, it, it's he's got a lot of mileage. Know, what's the word to say? <laughs> he's got a lot of miles on those feet. And, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, considering um, he's he does his best on clay, it's not surprising that he'll get it now. It, it's his road to there that was, you know, good because he came in unseated. Edmund was his number two seed um, as well. and But he didn't play really anybody of note until you got to semis, he beat uh, Jal Sousa, um, which was a closer match, but Sousa himself has, you know, more experience than anybody else he played. So, uh, I mean, there's not much to say about it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's move on here. Stevie Johnson defeats Tennis Sangren 7-6-2-6-6-4 to win the U.S. Men's Clay Court Championships. I watched this match. And it was just a back and forth affair. Uh, neither player could hold on to momentum for very long. Uh, the first set, I uh, remember that Sangren was up 6-5. He had broken uh, Stevie Johnson. Uh, he was serving out to win the first set, uh, played a terrible game, and then it went to a tiebreaker. And then Johnson just you know took hold of that tiebreaker early on and really cruised. 
Second set, uh, honestly, Johnson should have won this match in two sets. And the second set should have been pretty easy because he had three, uh, the first three service games that uh, Sangren served, he had seven breakpoint chances combined and he just could not take advantage. Um, he got tight and before you know it, boom, Sangren breaks his serve and the set's over. And then it just was the the third set. I believe Sangram was up a break, and then Johnson came back and won it. I think, but it was a tight match, and it was kind of crazy. So that's a, that was a good one, and good for Johnson because he was the defending champion. Um, Kiki Burton's defeated Julia Gerges six two six one to win the Volvo Car Open, and Garbine Muguruza defeated uh, uh, Tamea Babos Babos uh, three six six four. 6 3, uh, you know, to win the Albiarto, GNP, Seguros, and Monterey. And so that's a really big deal. Uh, obviously, Garbine is a French Open champion, but uh, she really hasn't done a whole heck of a lot on the dirt in a while. And so for her to win uh, a title like this going into the clay season, the heart of the clay season, a uh, big deal because. That gives her a lot of confidence moving forward. Um, so that's it. That's it for the tournament results. Eric, is there anything you want to comment there on these before we move on to Davis Cup? Um, no, I mean, we're going to, you know, after Davis Cup, we're going to get on to the Monte Carlo preview. But I did want to say we're not uh, putting um, – there's actually a, a women's tournament going on right now that we can't even comment on, Mike, because I tried to find the the, the, the WTA's website's not the best – uh, thing out there. Tournament starts today and there's no draw, yet there's already playing matches. So Confined. we're only going to be covering um, the Monte Carlo preview and and not the other. We'll go with the results next week. Yeah, um, we'll try and find out that more. Tournament, in, in, but yeah, I don't I don't know why we can't pull up a draw or anything right now. All right, but otherwise we'll, I got nothing else. All right, yeah, we'll we'll cover that. Um, yeah, we'll cover that when we uh, review Monte Carlo. Um, all right, so let's move on to set three. Set three, of course, we're going to talk about Davis Cup here briefly before we get into the Monte Carlo draw. So uh, first, we're going to start out with USA versus Belgium. Belgium won 4-0, or not Belgium, USA, sorry, excuse me, won 4-0. I mean, they completely crushed Belgium. Although, to be fair, uh, David Goffin was not playing for Belgium. And if you look at Belgium's lineup, uh, they just did not have – an answer for Isner or Query in this uh, whatsoever, and, and you know, I say it's just cruise to victory, Eric. Oh yeah, they did. Um, it really was. It, I don't want to say a help, but it's nice that we didn't have to do any extra work. There was no fifth rubber. Um, pretty easy wins, and yeah, losing GoFan. I mean, that's that's pretty uh, deflating when basically your best player is not playing. I mean, it's the same thing with Spain. You know, when the doll hasn't played with Spain, they've done decently well, but it's not the same when the best person in your country isn't able to be there. Um, so I look at it as good for us, you know, didn't have to put a lot of effort into it. We can be more rested, uh, rest and relaxed uh, for the next, uh, I don't know who we face though for the next uh, leg here. Oh, in, in Davis um, Cup. I don't I don't know who we go think, against. I, I think we face France and Croatia versus us. Okay. Yeah. All right. So uh, Croatia uh, took out 
Kazakhstan 3 1. Didn't uh, surprise me. Chilich defeated Dmitry Popko and Mikhail Kishkushkin, uh, dropping only a combined eight total games across the, both his matches. I mean, it was a pretty comprehensive beatdown on two players. Now, obviously, Popko is not somebody that has uh, nearly as much experience as Kukushkin, but yeah, Kukushkin's a solid player. Um, I expected a little more out of him, but yeah, Chilich had no problem brushing them aside. Uh, but the problem is Borna Koric lost in four sets to Kukushkin. Uh, just a, a really bad loss from him, weirdly. Um, I didn't expect him to lose at all, and, and he... He just no, did not look great. He out has there. he has his good and bad days. Yeah. I mean, he's still really young. So, and I don't remember him playing last year in Davis Cup. Maybe he did, but you know, it's it's a different atmosphere. It, you know, especially Kazakhstan being down. You know, I didn't watch it, so you know, uh, Davis Cup atmosphere is pretty insane, pretty intense too. I mean, it's uh, even more rabid than when people are at the Olympics. You know, when we watch the Winter Olympics. And uh, doing like speed skating and whatnot. Like, yeah, people are, are, are making some noise and rooting and cheering and whatnot when everybody there. But then when the Davis Cup's going on, it's loud. It's horns, honking, flags, yep. yelling, screaming. So, you know, that if you're not used to that, you're used to playing in tennis court where fairly silent when you're playing to ruckus, <laughs> loud ruckus all the time. Um, maybe that got in the torch's head a little bit. Who knows? Yeah. All right, so France uh, defeated Italy 3-1. Uh, Luca Pui took out Andrea Seppe in five sets uh, for the first rubber. Uh, a really, really good match between those two. It was a real back-and-forth affair. And then uh, Luca Pui then took out Fabio Fanini in four sets and the fourth rubber to uh, really give the win there for France. And, uh, you know, Fanini is... Well, volatile to say the least, but yeah, either either hot or cold. He's either yep. red hot or he's as cold as the Siberian tundra. Yep, yeah, that that's about as good a description as you can get there. Um, all right, let's end here, of course, with Spain and Germany. Now, some people might say, "But Mike, of course, you would leave the last Davis Cup match to talk about Spain. Nadal's playing, and and yes, that's true, but." The reason I left the closest this, one. Well, yeah, and this, that's the thing. The, the reason I left this last is because it's not just that it's Spain, not just that we're both Nadal fans, of course, but also that it was the closest, most uh, maybe intense. one. Of the, it was yeah, intense. It was tense. It was most one of the most unbelievable uh, Davis Cup experiences I've ever seen, and I've seen some pretty good ones. And boy, was this one crazy! So. Let's first start uh, start talking about Nadal. Um, haven't seen him play in in months. Obviously, the last time we saw him play was when he was retiring at the Australian Open in the quarterfinal against Chilich, <clears throat> and uh, we were excited, uh, nervous, wanted to see what he looked like out there. Uh, was he rusty? Um, how was his movement? All of that. Obviously, going into clay, this is a big deal. And you could say that this was his first chance to wet his feet on clay. I mean, apart from the fact that he's probably been practicing on clay. But um, big deal. It's Davis Cup. He hasn't played Davis Cup in uh, a couple of years, I believe. So, and Nadal took out 
Philip Kohlschreiber and Alexander Zverev. And he took them both out in straight sets. Kohlschreiber was a pretty comprehensive beatdown. And uh, Zverev, the first set was was a beatdown. It was a 6-1 set. Zverev was uh, not particularly sharp. He was spraying a lot of errors. Uh, the next two sets were definitely a little closer, 6-4, 6-4. Uh, but, you know, here's the thing. It was uh, a sharp Nadal. Um, I wouldn't say it was Nadal playing it at full power, uh, as in like I don't think he was out there completely on a different plane of existence. Um, but it was certainly, I think, probably somewhere in the B plus range of of Nadal Nadal's abilities uh, as they stand currently. Um, but it was really great to see him and where he's at, and he looked healthy. His movement looked phenomenal. Uh, he was motivated. He was fired up. He was really ready for these matches. And Kohlschreiber, I think, wilted. And I think Zverev, even to a certain extent at least, uh, wilted a bit as well. Uh, and then the German uh, doubles team uh, took out uh, Spain. It was it was a good match, but ultimately they won. And then the match, the one that gave uh, Spain the victory, because Spain won 3-2, was David Ferrer taking out Philip Kroos-Schreiber 7-5 in the fifth set of a match that lasted over five hours in the deciding fifth rubber. Eric, um, give me your thoughts on this whole Davis Cup for Spain and definitely uh, about the the David David Ferrer-Philip uh, Kroos-Schreiber match. Well, uh, you know, I think it was a really good showing for Nadal to kind of put, you know, for him mentally, uh, you know, he got some court time. He won comfortably for the most part. Uh, you know, that uh, that hip muscle, that sore, psoriasis, sore, I don't know how to say it, pronounce it, but, you know, that muscle that uh, was given the, the uh, injury he pulled out with. And then when he thought he was good to go right before um, – um, right before I think it was Acapulco or somewhere, and he yeah, had to pull out Acapulco. again. You know, he had to spend a 30-day, 25 to 30 days being lazy, which is not for Nadal. Um, I think that's good for him, especially the win against Zverev. Um, you know, it, it's it's big deal for him, you know, to, to play for Spain, um, to win in straight sets, both matches, to not really exhibit any weakness at the moment. I mean, I know the serve was something he's got to work on because he's rusty. That was about the only thing I saw that was kind of bad. Um, looking good. Uh, my hope is that he you know, stays injury free and that, that injury doesn't flare up right before Roland Garros feel that he should maybe skip Barcelona if need be, whatnot, so on and so forth. Now, moving on from him, Ferrer, you know, after Ferrer, it, it, big for Ferrer to, to bounce back because Ferrer lost. Um, yeah, he did. And it was, you know, not a humiliating defeat, but it was one you didn't expect Ferrer to lose because you know, he was playing pretty well and it seemed like he just clammed up. Um, but it's huge. I mean, it's huge for him. You know, he's been a little bit, he used to be like the poster child for, um, what, what's that right word for, I mean, not him being fit, but consistency, you know, he, the way his game was, you know, he didn't get a lot of errors. He was solid on all. And then he, you know, last couple of years getting a little older, a few injuries flare up and he's dropped down. You know, this is a big deal for him too. You know, it's a monumental occasion. You're playing for your country. It's a fifth set rubber, and you outlast Kohlschreiber over five hours. Uh, it's really big. 
it's really big for him. It's really big for Spain. Um, I've always liked Ferrer. Mm-hmm. You know, it was unfortunate that he had to face Nadal in, I think, the 14 final, um, yep. 13 or 14 final. Yeah, I think in, it was the, uh, uh, in Roland Garros. Yeah, but, it was 2013, uh, I think. Yeah, it's one of those two. Um, but I thought that was really huge. Now, I didn't watch the fifth set rubber. I mean, I didn't watch the, the, the that rubber at all. I just saw the highlights. It was the most intense atmosphere um, besides maybe when Nadal won it for Spain in 05 or 08 or something like that. That was the only other time that I was – it was really insane. Um, so I'm going to have to make sure I pay attention uh, in the – was it the semis next? Yes, it's the semis next. And so it's going to be huge. That will be right after the US Open. I want to say it's the following week, I think. Okay. Yeah, so I'll definitely be glued to the TV on that one. Um, and then we'll see. Hopefully, you know, both of them are good to go, on Nadal and Ferrer. And then, you know, we'll see if Rodasco or um, any of the other countrymen – uh, are are doing a better better job and, and you're gonna step up to the plate. So, all right. We'll see. All right, Eric. One thing I wanted to ask you before we move on to our preview here. Um, obviously, we know that the whole there's this whole thing about Davis Cup and the format being changed and it all taking place in one location, and they're gonna try, I guess, and centralize it so that people from all over can come. But I think if there's one match one atmosphere uh one battle to really say maybe that isn't the way to go it is this spain versus germany the whole thing but definitely that fifth rubber with ferrer and kohlschreiber and showing you what it's like to be in that atmosphere with the crowd and and all of that and just the craziness and i will say i can see why the people that aren't in favor of the change might feel that way because if you centralize the location, then it's gonna it's not gonna we're not gonna have the same atmosphere anymore. You know, it's not gonna be like this where the home crowd and then they're all Spanish or, you know, uh Spaniards or if we go to you know, maybe France or to get the French uh pro French crowd and you know, it, it's gonna lose that inevitably if they do end up changing it to a one uh weekend, I believe, format. Well, yeah, and, and you lose a bit of, uh, you know, I don't want to say home field advantage uh, because it doesn't always follow seating. Like uh, in um, France versus Italy, France is the number one seed. Uh, they played in Italy, even though Italy is the eighth seed. But you kind of lose that home field advantage per se, you know, where you get the home crowd. Like Spain versus Germany played in Valencia. So, you know, that helped. I don't say it helps Spain out the most, but it helps Spain out. You know, Croatia versus Kazakhstan was in Croatia, and then Belgium versus the U.S. was just in Nashville. Uh, it, it makes a, a difference. You know, you go in a central location, while it may be a little bit easier for some people, some people, you're making it harder for everybody, though. You know, right. okay, great if it's Italy versus Spain, and they moved it to London, the O2 Arena, and say not only is the O2 Arena – you know, for the finals, but that's where you're going to do Davis Cup, you know, because they already host a nice year-end tournament. Why not do the same thing? Okay, great if you're one of those countries. But you're talking to me that Japan and China, Australia, U.S., everybody else, any of those fans always have to fly that distance. So I don't like the part of picking one place. Maybe one place – 
for each year would be the only thing I could think of. I wouldn't do right. it permanently. Right. You know, maybe you do, you know, O2 Arena for next year. And then the year after that, you're going somewhere in France. And, and different that, surfaces, by the way, too. Not always. Yeah, and, you, and you do. You have to mix up surfaces. So you got to have it somewhere where, you know, are you going to build separate courts? You know, they really don't do – I don't pay attention. Do they do Davis Cup on grass? I don't think they do Davis Cup on grass, do they? I, I think it's just I think it's just clay and hard court, I, indoor hard and indoor I believe, clay. I believe so. I believe. Okay. I have to look that up, but I'm pretty certain there's no grass. But you need to make sure that you are doing, you know, clay and hard court somewhere. So wherever you're going to put this every time, they need to be able to do both if you're going to do it that way. So I don't know. I don't like it. I think they just need to keep it, you know, where it is. Okay. All right, Eric, let's move into officially set four. We're going to move, talk about the Monte Carlo preview here. And uh, we're, going to, we're going to do is uh, we're going to make our picks from, as always, uh, the quarterfinal to the final. And we're going to talk briefly about, uh, you know, if we want to pinpoint any of the matches and and who's going to win and why they're going to win. So I'm going to start out first here. So at the top of the draw, of course, this is the first quarter. Um, to me, I think this one is, is going to be the one that may in fact be the craziest out of all of them because you have a bunch of big seeds up there. You have, of course, Dominic team, you have Novak Djokovic and you have Nadal and, uh, it's, it's a lot of really good players up there. So for me, I, I know that Djokovic is probably motivated. I know there's a lot of talk about him and it's not very good and he's trying to motivate himself right now. And uh, so for me, as much as I think he'll improve a bit in this tournament and he's got so much motivation to improve, I don't think we're going to see Djokovic meeting Nadal in the quarters. Uh, it's I, possible, but I put it at the lower percentage chance than like who you're going to pick. Right, exactly. And and I think the problem here is Dominic Team. So Dominic Team has also been injured recently. He was out uh, for Miami and Indian Wells, which I think in the end is actually to his benefit because we know that Team has a habit of tiring himself out. And yeah. by the time playing, he gets to the clay season, he's already often logged a bunch of tournaments under his belt. And unfortunately, that ends up doing more harm than good, especially as we get to the second half of the year. And I think he hit a wall at the French Open last year as well. So to me, I think team takes out Djokovic. If in fact Djokovic even gets there, Borna Koric is coming up here as his next match. That's a much bigger out for him. So it's possible he doesn't even get to team. But in, if he does get past Koric, I do think the team who will take out Rublev uh, I think team takes out Djokovic and meets Nadal in the quarterfinals. And then if we move on to the next quarter, um, you know, Dimitrov, it, this was a hard one for me because to me, Dimitrov has been just, well, he's been Dimitrov. He's been basically, for the most part, pretty lackluster all year. Uh, I think he had, if I remember correctly, decent results in Australia, but nothing spectacular. And his his draw here actually in his quarter isn't that bad. Uh, Ramos Vanolas, who I believe, if I'm not mistaken, took him out last year. Um, if he has to he has to take him down. Uh, that's going to be difficult. Although I think Dimitrov will do it. 
But then Gofan. Gofan to me, if the guy's okay, and I think it they probably it probably is okay. I think Gofan and Dimitrov will meet. Uh the quarters are negotiable uh pretty easily. Batista Goot is the only person I think that Gofan has to worry about. Uh, but I think Gofan takes him down. So Gofan versus Dimitrov. Then if we get on to the next quarter in the bottom half of the draw, uh, we have some some good ones here. We have uh, Luca Pui in this section, Diego Schwartzman, Fabio Fanini, um, Alexander Zverev, right? So some some pretty big uh, big guns down here. And you know, for me, I think it's going to be a um, well, I think Zverev. And Schwartzman are going to meet. Zverev is, of course, a big power player. Schwartzman, however, is uh, Mr. Consistency. And he is a tough guy to take out because the guy just does not get tired. And he'll get everything back. He's, he's a, for a guy his size, he is a wall. Um, so you have to have a good day. You cannot beat yourself if you're going to beat Diego Schwartzman. So uh, Schwartzman versus Zverev. And then in the bottom part, part of the draw, we have uh, Chilich. We have... Um, Nishikori, we have Ranich, uh, Garcia Lopez, and uh, I'm gonna pick um, Pablo Carina Busta actually versus Fernando Verdasco. So I think there's gonna be some upsets down here. I don't think it's gonna be um, Chilich, as crazy as that might sound. I think, I think Verdasco takes him out. Um, and then I think. We see, uh, you know, another person's kind of slip in there and get to the quarterfinals. And I think that's uh, definitely going to be uh, Karina Busta. All right. So we get to the semifinals. We have uh, Nadal uh, versus Gofan because I think Nadal takes out team and I think Gofan takes out Dimitrov. And in the bottom half, we have. Alexander Zverev versus Karina Busta. Um, Busta is, uh, I think, a good player, and his record on clay can be spotty at times, but um, he's young, but I think he's improving every year, and uh, I think he's just going to make an inspired run here. But the problem is, is you're going up against Zverev, and Zverev is on his game, and he's motivated. Uh, we saw what he could do on clay last year. Uh, I think that Zverev takes out Busta, and I think Nadal takes out Gofan, which leaves us with a Nadal versus Alexander Zverev, um, the all-time great versus the young upstart, and I think Rafael Nadal takes out Alexander Zverev in straight sets, uh, seven five six three. Okay. <clears throat> I think you got that half right, but I'm going to disagree on the okay. other everything else basically um so going through mine a little bit quicker because you know some of it i'm just copying what you said uh i think nadal (laughs) gets through versus team nadal versus team in the quarterfinals and i think he beats team uh is it possible a team to beat nadal that's to be the biggest uh, upset i would see in my opinion um you know because we haven't seen team play uh dimitrov um some context on him because I, i uh you know, I don't even have him making it to GoFan. Okay. Uh, he, besides, after winning the year-end championships uh, that he won, he lost the semifinals to Kyrgios in Brisbane. 
He lost in the quarters to Edmund in Australia. And now he did lose in the finals at the uh, Amaro World Tennis to Federer, but that's after Goffin had to retire uh, and Roger beat the crap out of him at 6-2-6-2. He loses in around the 32 to a 117-ranked person the next tournament, loses in, in the next round, I'm sorry, in the next tournament uh, after his first round by to Fernando Verdasco and Indian Wells, loses in around the 32 at Miami to Jeremy Shardy. Um, so he's just not, you know, it's it's almost one of those things like Sloan Stevens. After, you know, she won the Grand Slam, she just couldn't win anything. Um, where, I, you know, after winning the year in championships, that's like his career highlight right now. And he's not played well since. Making it to the finals of a 500 tournament and getting beaten badly against Federer is his highlight of 2018. I don't think he's going to go very far. Is he pretty good on clay? Yeah, but he's going to be going up against much better people. I actually have uh, Ramos Vinolas beating Dimitrov to make it against Goffin. Okay. Uh, so that's my quarterfinal there, okay. Ramos Vinolas versus Goffin. Uh, the next one, um, I've got Luca Pui going and making it against Zverev. The reason behind that is Pui's recent play, especially at Davis Cup, has shown he beat quality people. I mean, Fognini and Seppi are not, you know, Nadal or Ferrer of the Clays, but Seppi's done damage, and so is Fognini's done damage on clay courts. They're they're better than your average player. I think he's going to be riding that that high, you know, good matches under his belt, good practice, and I think it's going to be um, pre-making it through. Plus, I mean, he's got to face Misha Zverev. Then he's either going to probably play Jeremy Shardy, um, or maybe Guido Pea, Diego Schwartzman. I don't really know who's going to win there. Like you, you're picking Diego going through, but I've got a fair amount of belief that it's going to be Luca Pui. Um, I do feel it's going to be against Zverev, unless something crazy happens and he just gasses himself. I don't really see Jules Muller or Fabio okay. uh, catching up and getting him there. So I think it's going to be, in my opinion, um, Pui versus Zverev. And then in the very bottom, I've got um, Andre Seppi versus Verdasco. And the reason is, I think, uh, if – this is going to be a big if, but it's, it's if if Fernando Verdasco beats Cuevas, he's going to take out Chilich. Cuevas, in my opinion, is a much harder match, even though Chilich is a better all-around player, not on clay. Cuevas, you know, especially what last year, the year before, he's had some better results on clay than he's ever had. So I think, in my opinion, it's going to be Verdasco versus Seppi. Um, there is a chance, you know, because I was like, ah, Guillermo Garcia Lopez, Spaniard. I just don't feel that he's got the game if Seppi makes it by Kyle Edmund. You know, okay. Kyle Edmund just got off of losing a final. You know, is he going to have a lot to tank? You know, first round match against Seppi. Um, you know, going on a limb because I'm obviously not picking Raonic or Nishikori or Burdich. You know, Nishikori already beat Burdich. Um, but I didn't pick either of those guys. I'm going with my gut, and I'm going with Seppi versus Verdasco. So move to the semis. Uh, Nadal beats team, and I have Goffin uh, beating Ramos Vinolas, which I may uh, regret because there's always a chance. And then I've got Luca Pri upsetting me, uh, Alexander Zverev uh, and Verdasco beating Andreas Seppi. So that's the surprise semifinal. It's Pre versus Verdasco. I've got Nadal beating Goffin, and I've got Verdasco beating Pre. I just don't think Pre can take 
um, take the lefty on Clay. Uh, I mean, he's, he, he really did give Nadal some trouble uh, a couple of years ago um, on some tournament. I remember Pre getting doing really well, uh, maybe even beating him. I don't remember at this point. Uh, yeah. But I've got Fredasco versus Nadal in the final, uh, Battle of the Lefties, and I've got Nadal um, beating Verdasco in straight sets. That's my – that's okay. what I think. All right. I a little like more outside the box, but it, Monte Carlo doesn't always follow. You know, it's the first real clay court, big clay court tournament of the year. Um, and if the conditions are bright and it's hot and dry, right. then the, the lefties are going to dominate. The top spins are going to dominate the Nadal, the team, um, and Verdasco. That's basically the, the, the three that really have a huge amount of spin. So... We'll see. We'll see if um, if I'm right or you're right. All right. I, mean, I think we're both going to be right, and it all wins it. That's our. That's kind of our. <laughs> Basically, I think. Uh, yeah. Really, just how do we get there? Um, I've got a feeling it's going to be not cookie cutter dry. Okay. All right. Let's move on to the fifth set, uh, and this really is basically as usual. <clears throat> um, final set is normally our final thoughts, and uh, we're just going to wrap up our. Uh, episode. So, Eric, uh, give me your final thoughts on uh, anything that we've covered, anything you want to mention or talk about. And yeah, um, I'm I'm interested in Djokovic. You know, he he said himself he's inspired. Um, it does, you know, it's I don't say it's a pause, a cause for concern, but it is a little bit of a cause for concern because he wasn't stating that he's perfect and ready to go and healthy and everything um, up until today. You know, he says he was working on it and he still got pain. But, you know, he had a really good day paired with he says he's pain free. You know, he's when he's playing well, easily number two clay court player in the world right behind Nadal. Uh, you know, and when when Nadal's not on, he beats Nadal. We've seen it happen. So, you know, there there can be a cause for concern for everybody else. I think Nadal's playing well enough that he'd be able to beat Djokovic. However, you know, it's the beginning of the clay court season. It's not like this is just happening a week before Roland Garros and he's now feeling good. He's going to have time to practice. He's got, I don't, you know, he, I imagine he's going to do Barcelona. He's done it a couple, you know, he did it before. I imagine he's going to do Monte Carlo. Then he's going to do Barcelona and, you know, do the other clay masters. So he's going to have four tournaments to get himself ready for the French and maybe make a run as a dark horse. Besides that, um, I have a feeling it's, it's the beginning of the clay court season. You know, uh, I'm feeling good about Rafa. There's other people that need to really shape up their game. Uh, we've seen a little bit better uh, results lately from the men. So I'm hoping somebody can make it to the quarterfinals of the French. <laughs> That's what – it's sad that it's that low of a bar. But I just want an American man to make it to the quarters of the French Open. That's my like, that's my goal, and that's a really low one. But <laughs> you know, Johnson's not bad. I think with Isner is going to be our best chance. You know, Isner won his first Master Series tournament. Isner historically does okay at the French. I mean, he's the only person to ever push her off at a five sets. Didn't beat him, but it's the only five setter that Nadal's ever played. Um, so I, he can do it if he believes in himself. 
he can do it. I mean, the serve is like we said, the clay's a neutralizer for the serve, but his serve is is more unique than everybody else's. I mean, I know Karlovic's taller, but Karlovic doesn't have his serve. So, you know, I, I it's possible. I think you know, the American men can make a decent run at the French. Um it'd be really nice if if they could make a couple of runs at the Master Series tournaments, but, you know, we'll see. We'll see. No, I'm hopes up for them. Okay. All right. So for me, uh, I just I'm kind of in line with you there uh, with Djokovic. I'm just going to be interested to see what he does in this tournament if he makes any any significant progress. Uh, which I guess you know he lost his first last two first uh, round matches um, in Indian Wells and Miami. So obviously, just by winning today, he's already made progress in that area specifically. Um, but in general, I just want to see how he progresses and to see if the new coaching, uh, hire of, of Vida is going to yield the results that he's looking for going back to the old coach. And, uh, obviously I just want to see how Nadal plays and, you know, see if he's going to really be able to shake off any remaining rust that he might have. And now that we're really back in the swing of things on clay, we'll see what happens. Um, and that's it. Um, hopefully Mike will be back. Uh, we were just, you know, as you can tell, just the two of us today, Michael couldn't be here. So hopefully he'll be back. If you want to send in feedback, if you have any questions, thoughts, opinions, ideas, don't hesitate to write into us, please. Uh, we have no problem, uh, getting the feedback, putting into our next podcast episode and giving you guys an answer to your questions, opinions, and thoughts and let us know what we can do better i mean you know we do this as kind of like a hobby um but i you know there's a lot of listeners who listen to multiple podcasts um not just ours so you know it'd be nice to know what you know we do that maybe you don't like what we could do better what you do like and then that way we can you know fix things i'm, I'm not uh against changing uh, up the format or, or what we talk about just because you know it's fun for us but you know, if someone, you know, we need to make some changes to get more listeners or for you to be more engaged and interested, then I'm all for it. Yeah, certainly. Let us know. We uh, we take any criticism and uh, hopefully use it to make things better. So, all right. Uh, we will be back uh, next week for our wrap-up of the 2018 Monte Carlo Open. And hopefully we'll have more news and more things that we can put into the podcast and talk about. So, until then, uh, thanks for listening, and thanks for joining us on the Tennis Addict Podcast. Talk to everyone later. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Addict Podcast by Freaking Geeks Media. Be sure to visit FreakingGeeks.com as well as our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash freakinggeeks for more great content. Also, please consider rating and reviewing us on iTunes. It really helps. If you would like to write into the podcast and share your thoughts and ask questions, you can do so by sending your email to tennisaddictpodcast at gmail.com. You can contact Michael on Twitter using at Michael underscore Lanik or at FreakGeeks.
intro music for this episode is Danger Storm by Kevin McLeod, which can be found at incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. Outro music is Nowhere Land by Kevin McLeod, which can be found at incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. You can also find the attribution in the episode description as well.